0: This is the Life Vows of 2016, fifth talk. Today, I'd like your permission to uh, be guided into seeing the absolute side of things. I'm going to do a a little guided meditation. And I ask each of you just to look inside and say, am I willing to? You know, follow this. If you're not, it's okay. So, with uh, that foundation, let's start off. Everybody can become aware of their hand, right? We've done this many times. Now, notice that you're aware of your hand, and you're, for the way we're looking at it right now, you're able to see, feel your hand, okay? Hand out there. Awareness somewhere else, right? <clears throat> we can do that with the other hand, too, just as easily. Awareness, can be aware of this hand or can it be aware of that hand, no problem. Okay. Now, awareness can also be aware of your legs, just as easy. Okay. Legs down there somewhere. Awareness says, yep, there they are. I am absolutely certain the legs are there. Now, we're going to take a step back and notice that awareness can be aware of you having a body. Just like it's aware of you having a hand, it can be aware of you having a body. And you can check and say, is the head there? Yep. Shoulders there? Yep. Chest there? Yep. Belly there? Yep. Everything else there? So awareness can just as easily as being aware of a hand can be aware of. Yep, I got a body. Just notice that. Now, notice that just as we can easily be aware of having a body, we can also be aware of this whole room. Just you know, holding your eyes still, but just open your eyes and just as easy as being aware of having a hand, you're aware we're sitting in this room. You see the color of the floor, you see the lights. Now, turn your awareness, just notice awareness itself. Awareness is aware of hand, aware of body, aware of that we can be aware of anything. Now, if I ask you, what color that awareness is, it's kind of a stupid question. If I ask you how old that awareness is, that which is aware of my hand or my body or the room, if I ask you how old is that awareness, kind of a stupid question. It's just aware. If I said, look into awareness and see if it has a shape, Doesn't make much sense. Yeah. Might be the shape of the hand if I'm in my hand. Might be the shape of the room if I'm paying attention to the room. Well, how about size? If we just look at this whole room and we think the awareness that's looking at this room, does it have a size? Well, we can make a case for it's the size of the room sees the whole room It's aware of the whole room, but make a case for other things too. So right here right now, just allow yourself to take a few steps back into awareness. Yeah? See the whole room, whole body. No big deal. Now notice that when you take a step back into awareness, you can see the mind thinking, just thoughts, just like I've got a hand, got a few thoughts. No big deal. Just as you can see, be aware of a hand, be aware of thought, you can also be aware of emotional valence, charge, feelings. So, we're going to say just relax, but you don't even need to relax. Just be aware. Everybody can do that, very simply. Awareness has no qualities except awareness. Awareness is always present. Awareness is not large or small. Awareness has no color. Awareness has no beginning or end. Awareness has no shape. Awareness has no age. Pretty straightforward. Everybody can see that. We call this the absolute side of things, that awareness can be large or small. It's just aware. Everybody here is just aware, has awareness, and you have some content. Everybody here can be aware of the organism of your particular little personality body. There it is, sitting still or squirming. So just take a step back into awareness and realize that everywhere you turn, they're just simply objects of awareness, that they're in awareness. Now notice from a place of awareness, you can be aware of opinions and dissatisfaction and. Happiness and unhappiness, just like you can be aware of a hand. You can be aware of the threads of life that come through. No big deal. Just the way things are. Some people call this awareness big mind, or Dharmakaya, or absolute. And that awareness can be filled with anything. You can look up at the stars and be aware of stars. You can look into a microscope and be aware of microns, microns of cells. It's just aware. Notice you can be aware of love, can be aware of hate, be aware of anything. No problem. All the surging feelings of a human being you can be aware of all those. Awareness is completely undiscriminating. Be aware of I'm a total mess. Yeah, no problem. Human being? Yeah, no problem. I'm out of my mind? Yeah, no problem. Awareness can be aware. That's its own quality, is awareness. It has no size, no shape, no place, no location. Always present. Always aware of something. And we can watch with awareness this organism body. Oh, yeah. Body's got some pain in the knees, oh yeah. Body's got some pain in the neck, oh yeah. Pretty, pretty challenging, I'm aware of that. Pretty easy, I'm aware of that. Having fun, I'm aware of that. Lighthearted, I'm aware of that. And this is something, of course, everybody, it's, it's, you can't achieve it, you can't make it happen because it's already there. I'm going to get more aware, then what does that mean? It means you're still aware, but now you're going to try to fill that awareness with more tightly compressed molecules or something. Our basic nature is awareness. What's the problem? We don't have to struggle to be aware. We just have to be aware of awareness. We don't have to do something dramatic, have some big breakthrough. Everybody here is already aware, already. You can be aware of doubt, you're aware of confidence. Just like you are aware of a hand, you can be aware of anything. So take a step back into awareness. It's not a thing can't go anywhere, step back is a figurative term of course, simply be aware that you are aware of whatever your particular body experience is, or room experience, or thought experience. Now being able to hold your awareness on awareness, being able to hold awareness <coughs> as the, the ground of being of your life, awareness has no gender, has no age, so awareness can be just as aware of a young woman as an old crotchety man, no problem. Be aware of somebody who is sick and dying, somebody who is just starting out in life, no problem. No problem. When we begin to see that we are not just the objects of awareness but there is awareness itself and it has infinite capacity. It can be aware of the sun. It can be aware of galaxies. We begin to shift our relationship to our bodies and the world. So, do that right now. Be aware of this room. Be aware of the talk. Be aware of your sitting there. It's just aware of Everywhere you look, there's a kind of awareness. I'm really aware the mind is fidgety and restless. It's just awareness. I'm really aware that my mind is calm and serene and deep. Yeah, just awareness. No big deal. So everybody can relax. You can stop the struggle. All you need to do is just be aware that there's a little struggling human being down there. Oh, look at that. Now, this is not an ultimate teaching. This is a provisional teaching that's very useful. We're having a hard time. You just shift into awareness. Say, oh. Now, if you're able to do this at all, note it that awareness is not pleasurable nor is it painful that awareness is not does not hurt. that awareness does not enjoy awareness is aware of pleasure, it's aware of pain. It's aware of neutral. It's aware of everything. Just note that you are aware. whether the hands are open, or the hands are closed, whether they're extended or they're held close, it's all the same awareness. No big deal. And part of this spiritual teaching is to point this out. So you can take, you can turn your awareness to awareness and see. Not hard. Now, The next step is a little more uh, trickier for some people. This is obvious, what I'm talking about now. It's obvious to everybody once it's pointed out. And it's actually a place that when you're in pain, when you're really having a hard time, you can move to awareness, and somehow it begins to, the awareness is not having a hard time. Awareness is just aware. But the next step is a little more... Um, challenging. The next step is where the absolute and relative come together. We call this state of awareness the absolute side of things, as I mentioned. Big mind, dharmakaya, Buddha nature, whole, complete, lacking nothing. You know, all that stuff that we hear about in the sutras. It's exactly what it's talking about. Certainty is not nothing. But the next step is a little more tricky. So when we're aware of a hand, and we're aware of the fingers. We're not aware of the hand of the fingers someplace else. That is, we're aware of the hand and the fingers in the hands and the fingers. There's not like a witness outside witnessing them. You can close your eyes, and you, you know that you've got a hand and fingers there. And you know you have a hand and fingers because you can feel the hand and fingers, because awareness is in the hand. Awareness is in things. You feel the hand from the inside of the hand. You're aware of the body from the inside of the body. We somehow think of awareness as being a visual phenomenon. And the visual phenomenon appears to be, you know, I'm up there in the tower of my head and everything else is someplace else out there looking at it. But awareness really even with the visual phenomena, is not separate from the experience of things. So, if we're hungry and our belly is empty, awareness is in the hungry belly. Awareness and what we call our ordinary life are interfused because we're aware of things from the inside. The visual field a little more interesting and so a little more challenging to work with, too. We always think of somehow I'm back there looking at those things. But awareness of the visual field is awareness of the visual field. So if you close your eyes, there's a visual field. You know, it looks different than if you open your eyes. There's a visual field. If you blink your eyes, there's a visual field. If we turn the room red, there's a visual field. If we turn it blue, there's another visual field. We filled it with rocks, there's a visual field. We filled it with chipmunks, there's a visual field. You know? So the visual field is always stable and present. And the things of the visual field kind of come and go. Stuff is always passing through. The visual field is always changing and shifting. We see the visual field by being in the visual field. We see the hand. We know the hand. We're aware of the hand by being in the hand. We're aware of the body because awareness is in the body itself. That relative and absolute are actually two sides of the same thing. Awareness and the objects of awareness arise together. But just holding the the first part, just, just... you yeah. know, awareness is absolute, just fine. However, we're going to use this whole teaching I just did, and we're going to begin to unfold it in a practical way. So, become really aware, okay? And become aware of there's an organism sitting here in your seat in the room, and that organism is huffing and puffing. That organism is somehow is resting on the ground one way or another. That organism has got the weight of clothing on it. That organism has a temperature. Just be aware of all that stuff. And if you chomp your, your mandible, you hear some crunching in your teeth. That's just being aware of the organism. Now, So hold awareness, hold the whole organism. And when I say, imagine there are puppies playing. Imagine we bring a whole herd of puppies in here. And they're all just frolicking around with great pleasure. (laughs) And you watch the response. Obviously, the response was kind of (laughs) joyful and happy. Response is warm. We're aware of that our state of this organism changed when we talked about frolicking puppies. (laughs) That there was a shift. Now, when we bring anything to mind, there's a shift. So, if we talk about really hot, spicy salsa put on you know, quinoa burritos, there's a shift. It might be a shift. Mm, might be a shift. Uh, might be a shift. That's funny. There's a shift when we are. In the organism, when we are in awareness and we are aware of the organism and something comes towards us, there's a shift. There's a shift. If we think of really high-quality dark chocolate like C's candies, there's a shift. When we're holding this organism in awareness, the shift might be that your jaw, your mouth salivates a little bit. The shift might be mm, a little kind of mm, perk of interest. The shift might be some curiosity about getting something. There's a shift. This is we begin to reach the realm of, of where we really are aware of the, of the subtlety. We're able to feel deeply and be aware of the ebb and flow of experience in this particular body because we are working with awareness. We're aware of how the hand is moving. We're aware of whether the mouth is salivating. We're aware of the the heart, you know, feeling joyful with the puppies. So watching this organism, uh, that's you, sitting there in the seat with all of its constituent parts and all of its uh, emotions and thoughts. And I say, bring to mind your partner. Or bring to mind your hoped-for partner. <coughs> There's some reaction. You know what it is. It might be, uh-oh. might be, ah uh-huh. You know. might be, Whatever dream you have, there's a reaction when we bring something into this field of awareness. Now, if we're not in the field of awareness and we're just into the macroscopic you know, way of our ordinary mind, then you know stuff comes through all the time and there's no real awareness of the shift. But when we are resting in awareness itself, and part of that awareness is this body-mind complex. then when we think of our bed, there's a little shift, a little sense of ease, a little sense of expectation, a little sense of aversion, whatever your particular thing is. <clears throat> you can't do this, of course, if you're, if you're in an overwhelming uh, emotion. It doesn't really work if you're filled with fear and anxiety. You can be aware of the fear and anxiety. You can be aware of of hope, but these more subtle changes that I'm talking about now, they get obliterated by the intensity of the uh, anxiety, or hope, or whatever. So with a calm, stable mind, like people have during Sushen, with a calm, stable mind, we're not really worried about as much as we are in our ordinary life. We can often read, often read this organism. Now, there is a a feeling which I have, and I know some of you have it, and that's a feeling of this belongs to me. We all have it with our clothing. I'm always amazed that somebody can go into the laundry room and see some nondescript piece of clothing, and they say, oh, that's mine. Oh, those shoes are mine. We Occasionally, somebody gets mixed up and puts somebody else's clothing on. But in general, most of us are very clear. That's mine. That's mine. Everybody in here has a sense of where their own seat is. That's mine. That's mine. It's useful to have that. So, when we think of um, when something is brought up in our mind, when something is brought up, when we meet something, sometimes there's a real feeling of yep, that's mine. That's my responsibility. That's I have to meet that. That's my duty. That's my connection. Now, of course, every parent knows that teenagers often don't get this at all. The world is so new and it's all so you know chaotic and so many different avenues. But as somebody becomes a an adult, and they begin to feel responsibility, begin to feel, oh, yeah, that's, that's my responsibility, yes. It's a very, very important feeling to have. Very, very important feeling to know what we need to meet in our life. Yeah, that's mine. And it doesn't mean mine necessarily in the sense of possessive, okay, I can put it in the bank, I can sell it to make money on it, but it means that that particular problem, that issue, that thing, I really at some level need to engage with. So some things come along, an opportunity to join a club. And we look inside, and we think, you know, I don't know what this all involves, but is that, is that mine? Is that something that I'm called at some level? Now, if we don't know ourselves at all, everything is sort of chaotic and neutral, or it's all just filled with grasping. But as we really calm our mind down and we begin to actually be able to feel deeply and to feel the ebb and flow and to be aware of the ebb and flow of alertness and be aware of the ebb and flow of experience in this body, we have a sense of, yes, that's the road to go through. Yes, that path is mine. Yes, it's now. This sense is one, of course, it comes partly out of experience. Because if we don't have any experience, we don't really understand sometimes uh, the choices. But it also is a part of the acknowledgement of the future is mysterious, always mysterious. We never know what a particular road, where a particular road is going to lead. So when something comes up to us, an opportunity, a bill, We see a car wreck. We meet somebody. Once we meet something in our life, if we have the ability to hold ourselves in awareness, to be aware of this organism, we begin to see, yes, I need to go that road. Yes, no, that's not the road for me. We begin to navigate the Infrastructure. We need to navigate the, what this particular life is called to or is averse to. And of course, this is not just an intuitive thing. If somebody says, here, give me a hundred dollars and I'll buy you a hundred tickets for the one billion dollar lotto Powerball lottery. Heart, the heart hears, oh, a billion dollars. I'd like a billion dollars, <throat> which probably wouldn't like a billion dollars. It would probably be far more headaches than it's worth. But the heart sort of says, mm, I'm kind of interested in that, and saying, oh, maybe I'll go down that road. Maybe I'll spend $100 to get a bunch of lottery tickets. And that's just, of course, wasting money. So it's not as though this is a a be-all and end-all, the rational mind has to also look at this movement of the heart. To look at this movement of what we, how we meet. Is this mine? We see a car wreck at the side of the road. It's surrounded by police and ambulances. And we say, no, nope, I don't need to do anything there. Or we see one just go off the road, and we're the first person on the scene, we stop because that's, that's part of ours, part of our response. I always use this particular sense when people are asking for, for things, you know. I I don't give to everybody. I just wait and see. Is this is this what's the what's the sense there? It has to be just like that, of course. Now, this gets into life vows. This gets into this territory that we've been preparing the ground for the last. Couple of days, however long we've been here, and it's important to have this, understand this territory, this territory of big awareness. And I encourage you to go back to big awareness. Go back to big awareness. You be aware of the whole room. Be aware of the whole organism. Because if we try to really work with life vows from just our head place, all the shoulds and oughts and reactions and things that that we have, the consciousness is not in the head, but I'm just using that as an example. If we try to go back into vow from this place of should and ought, we lose the deep deep movement of our life. We lose the, the feeling of, yep, that's, that's, belongs to me. Now of course sometimes it is not clear, you know. The future is always unknown. But sometimes we have this sense of yes. Yeah. So if I talk, if I ask myself, do I want to teach Dharma? Well I get an unequivocal yes. And not only have I been doing it for a long time, but it's still there. It hasn't dried up yet. It's still something I'm called to do. I can just feel it inside. Sometimes when you're giving a talk, or I'm giving a talk, the talk is there waiting just to be, uh, you're just the, uh, what's the word, Amunici- I mean, I can't remember the word. <clears throat> you're just the, the uh, scribe for the talk. The Talk is there and you're kind of simply the channel for it. You feel it's inside. You feel this particular direction. When we're doing life vows, it's, and we're able to hold our awareness like we've been working on with, in this way, we back into awareness, back into awareness, then that becomes a very useful part of our discernment, of our, our formulating. So now we're going to start talking about vows specifically. So, a vow, the way we define vow around here is to consecrate, dedicate, or promise oneself and one's resources to a purpose, to offer up. To consecrate, dedicate, or promise oneself or one's resources to a purpose, to offer up. A spontaneous vow may arise out of a deep insight in ways that you can Respond to it. Other kinds of vows arrive out of looking at yourself and your world and deciding, this way I'm talking about here, where you want to put your energy. I think that if we boil it down, a vow has something to do with what we want to grow. We can't grow a garden unless we actually vow to be present in the garden. We can't grow a child unless we actually vow to be present for the child. We can't grow our spiritual life unless we actually vow to be present for our spiritual life. We don't grow a political system that's healthy unless we vow to be engaged with it. So one of the ways that we begin to thinking about a vow is to look at, what do I want to grow? What do I want to put my energy life into? Now, when we are in pain, when we are in confusion, when we are suffering, when we're in legal problems, and we're in medical problems, and we're in interpersonal problems, we want help. Yep. Healthy people, if they've got a Healthy psychological people, if they have a a bad pain in their lower right quadrant of their abdomen, they say, hmm, I need some help here, I need some diagnosis, maybe some treatment. If we are out in the city and we're completely confused, we don't know where we're going or whats we've, we've lost track of our place in the universe, much less our place in the city, we need help. A classic thing, when we're suffering, we say, help me. Classic. And in a way, I would say that that suffering and that request, that desire for help, whether it be to you know the heavens or whether it be to our next door neighbor, in a way, I think that that ask that asking for help is the foundation of the spiritual life. Now, um, this is a general paintbrush. Of course, there are people who are so terrified or so uh, hopeless that they are unable to do this, but put them aside for the time being. And, of course, lots of us ask for help and they promptly ignore it. That's just a given. But, when we are suffering, we say, help me. Well, other people are just the same. Other people who are suffering also want help. Maybe if they're on drugs and paranoid, they But everybody in a car wreck you know, wants some kind of help. There's a flood. People want help. They sometimes demand help. You go to a doctor because we want help. The bodhisattva vow, bodhi just means enlightened. Zattva just means being. The enlightened being vow is we see difficulties out there and we say, I want to help. I want to help. When we're able to hold ourselves and our world in awareness like this, we're able to hold this organism in awareness, and then we we see the people and places and things that come towards us. We see somebody who needs help, and we feel like, oh, yeah, that's mine. I can help that person. There's a movement toward them. I really want to help people who are hungry. I really want to help people who are lost and confused. I really want to help children. I really want to help animals. I really want to help couples learn how to relate. I really want to help us get our political system together. By help, also mean grow I want to help feed people I'll grow a garden I love to see burgeoning in life I want to share that love and that bird that with other people to see life burgeoning an ornamental garden we're going to move into a place where we now are actually looking at what do you want to vow? What do you want to do with this precious life of yours? What is your life about? Shantideva, we chant a little mini version of that at night that uh, Sotin wrote up. This is an extract of an extract of an extract. What Shantideva's text called The Way of the Bodhisattva, is about Val. Here's how he starts an early part of it. This leisure and endowment, that is our leisure, I mean, we have the leisure to come and sit here for a week, and the endowment, we are bright enough to know the English language and bright enough to have our lives organized, we're endowed with lots of faculties which are so difficult to obtain, if you look at the number of people in the world who actually have the leisure to come and do a week-long retreat, it's very, very small, which are so difficult to obtain, have been acquired, and they bring about the welfare of the world. If one fails to take this favorable opportunity into consideration, how will this occasion occur again? Just as lightning illuminates the darkness of a cloudy night for an instant, in the same way, by the power of the Buddha, occasionally people's minds are momentarily inclined toward merit. Occasionally people's minds are momentarily inclined toward merit. Thus, virtue is perpetually ever so feeble. The power of vice is great and extremely dreadful. If there were no spirit of awakening, perfect awakening, what other virtue could overcome it? The lords of sages, which have been contemplating for many eons, have seen that awakening alone is a blessing by which joy is easily increased and immeasurable multitudes of beings are rescued. Those who long to overcome the abundant miseries of of mundane existence those who wish to dispel the adversities of sentient beings. And those who yearn to experience a myriad of joys should never forsake the spirit of awakening. At the core of our particular desire, of course, is the desire, the willingness to see this, that awareness itself, all-inclusive, whole and complete, not suffering at all. And then that awareness, all whole and complete, bright, clear, easy, is channeled in a way. It becomes living life through our particular body-mind, our hands. And then we put our hands, our body, to work in some way. Now, we're going to have uh, Shantideva. There's lots of ways we can do that. We don't have to have one particular way. Shantideva um, has a lot of, of his, his vows, his intentions, his promises. So, may the virtue I have acquired, may I, be, may I vow to use it to relieve the suffering of other people. May I be a medicine and physician for the sick. That's a vow. There's lots of vow. people who make the vow to become a doctor, become a nurse, become a nurse practitioner, become a physical therapist, become an acupuncturist, become a naturopath. May I be the nurse, that their nurse until illness never recurs. With showers of food and drink, may I overcome the difficulties of hunger and thirst. Showers of food and drink, we become gardeners become farmers become truck drivers we become middlemen who buy stuff and transport it become owners of safeways you know <clears throat> how else does the shower of food and drink come it doesn't come from some magical you know bananas are falling out of the sky it comes because of the chain of link of people and somebody who who says with showers and food and drink may overcome the afflictions of hunger and thirst, may I become food and drink during these times of famine. We do that by joining, by taking something that we love, like gardening, and joining the stream of beings that offer food. May I be an inexhaustible treasury for the destitute, with various forms of assistance. May I remain in their presence. And an inexhaustible treasure for the destitute. Somebody who's <clears throat> a social worker. Somebody who applies their wisdom to people who are really in difficulty. Somebody who works with the banking system to help, to help uh, countries or poverty in certain areas. Or somebody who helps poverty by driving a truck around and you know, dispensing food sake of accomplishing the welfare of all beings, I give up my body, enjoyments, and virtues of three times. It means basically, you know, when I think it's mine, when it's my job, my responsibility, you know, I do whatever I need to do. So everyone who's been a parent knows that it's not a nine to five job. And there's a difference between white-collar and blue-collar workers. In general, I mean, I don't know these days, it's all confused. But used to be very different. Blue-collar workers were nine to five, you know, clock in, clock out. Days done, no more thinking about it. White-collar workers were people who carried a responsibility, who kind of looked things over, who, whose dedication wasn't to the clock, but whose dedication was, let me look at the big picture of this and get the whole job done. And that that often would be much more. So We're going to be working on vows, and there's lots and lots and lots and lots of kinds of vows, lots and lots and lots of ways. These are Tori Zengi's vows. I vow not to give up on my spiritual quest. I vow not to waver in faith in the Dharma. I vow to continue, even if I'm miserable. A lot of people could use that one. I vow to help others. I vow to penetrate the questions of life, the koans. I vow to refine my functioning in truth. I vow not to be mean at heart. I vow not to be self-centered. I vow to pass on my understanding. We have a vow to be filial to our responsibility. We have a vow to support our community. We have a vow to take care of somebody who's sick. So what we're going to do is we have some worksheets um, which we're going to pass out. And we'll give people a—you a, can chew them over, chew them up if you want—but um, reflect on these, and really, uh, you know, you, have, you can write them down. You can begin to write things out. <clears throat> reflect on these uh, within your own own being. If you get confused, go back. To wide awareness. You know, the way there's lots of ways of doing that. The way I just told you today is you're aware of the entire room, and in this entire room is this little being who's sitting there, squirming. And it's all awareness. Awareness is always calm. Awareness is always present. Awareness is always at ease. And you realign yourself, but with awareness, and then you go back into the. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with this particular? concatenation of karmic bundle of threads right here, my life, my particular DNA. Then tomorrow, Chosen will give a talk in the morning on life. She just finished her book on life vows. And then in the afternoon, we're going to have some time to, if people need to consult. about vows. Jomon's going to be consulting with people. And then we're going to give out some tiles. We have a whole way of giving a, you a, 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 f- a way of actually making your vow, bringing it public. And then on Sunday morning, we'll do a, a Shrine of Vows ceremony. Now, there's very interesting research. About this, the the research basically shows that if people are consciously looking toward higher values, that is, they're not just saying, "How can I get comfortable? Where's more chocolate?" But they're actually saying, "How can I be a benefit to others? How can I connect with others? How can I that their lives are longer and they are happier?" There also is research that says when we are concerned with more ultimate matters, we're concerned with matters that are beyond am I comfortable or not, matters that are about something bigger than ourselves, we are happier, more stable, more productive. It's also the case that if we use the community resources by saying to somebody else, saying it out loud, it kind of has more weight in our hearts. Those of you involved with 12-step programs know at a certain point you have to do all the personal examination, and then at some point you have to tell one other human being. makes it real. We do traditionally do marriage ceremonies in public because when we make a vow, when we bring something out into the public, when other people can see it, when we all are looking at it, It gives it a life, gives it a presence. So part of the vow ceremony is we'll take our particular plaques up to the Shrine of Vows. So, so there, we're going to pass out these. Some at the head of the line, or however. We're going to recite the, the biggest and most intimidating of all vows, which you recite every day. You can't think of a bigger vow than the vow to help numberless beings, infinite beings. The vow to learn as much as you possibly can learn. Dharma gates are inexhaustible. It means the truth is inexhaustible. I want to learn everything. The vow to overcome all the obstacles inside, all the fear and doubt and all the karmic threads. And the vow to be a Buddha, whole and complete, lacking nothing. Nothing. Of course, the last one is easy, you just go into awareness. So this magnificent vow that we are about to take is a lot scarier if you really take it than anything we come up with personally, so let's try it and see.